Hello, and welcome to the Widge for the Post podcast. My name is Jason McEwen, and I'm joined by Alex Scott to talk all things Bradford City. Over this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about the 33-day hunt for the next Bradford City manager, which results in Graham Alexander's appointment. We'll talk about the events of the last few weeks and the start to the Alexander era following the weekend defeat against Barrow. We'll look at the prospects for the squad under the new boss and who might win and lose from the change in the dugout. And we'll also discuss family matters as we've asked City supporters for their best memories of either going to the game with their parents or from taking their own kids to watch the Bantams. And we've had a great response as ever to the questions we put out on Twitter. Uh, so thank you for that and we'll go through some of the best of them over this episode. Uh, welcome along, Alex. Uh, we've got no Tim on this episode. Um, as mentioned on previous podcasts, Tim and his wife are expecting. Their due date is imminent and we had hoped to be able to record as a trio just before that. But as we are recording this as we speak, there are some developments there and so baby Penfeld is probably quite imminent and so Tim is understandably a little bit too busy to be on the podcast. So uh, Alex, you've got a lot more heavy lifting to do than usual. <laughs> uh, I've been uh, playing football manager this afternoon to prep just to make sure I can do, <laughs> give my... It's Tim as I can. Uh, 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 sort of a brain. I mean, it's... Big day for the podcast, obviously. You know, lots of new experiences, and you know, I'm gonna have to edit my first podcast, Jason. This yes. big, ter- big territory for me. I don't know about Tim, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm dreading my next 24 hours. I don't know about him. <laughs> I feel like yours might be more monument- monumental than his. <laughs> I reckon so. Uh, absolutely. So, um, loads to talk about as ever with Bradford City at the moment. Uh, but let's start with the weekend game against Barrow, uh, and we'll naturally move on to talk more about the Alexander appointment and the wider events that led to it. Um, Bradford City beaten 2-1 at home to Barrow in Alexander's first game at the helm and I think probably the biggest talking point for you Alex is 4-4-2 was back yay but no yeah. wingers I mean it's it's a pyrrhic victory really I mean it's good it, it's good to have the 4-4-2 back there, there is now a path to get the wingers back in um, but the sight of having two wide men both cutting inside with no overlapping fullbacks is obviously not what you want to see but um, I mean, I mean, you, you were there, Jace. It felt a bit like, like sort of the more things change game. It was obviously slightly different to the Barrow result earlier in the year where we lost one 0 but not, <laughs> not too <laughs> different, right? Feels like much of the same thing that we've been through many times before. Yeah, it is almost that same plot of um, you know us having our best intentions. We'll play attacking football. We'll be playing whatever it's going to be and you come up against a team that are just going to kind of stink the place out a little bit and be that streetwise <laughs> to be able to to be better than that really and to, and to be able to foil that kind of approach and that is exactly what Barrow did it was you know they looked a good team and a lot of credit to Pete Wilde for the way he's set that team up and they're in the playoffs which is a yeah. great achievement for a club like Barrow but it wasn't Absolutely. exactly spectacular and it's that usual thing of time wasting and just men behind the ball and flooding the midfield all the kind of stuff we see over the years in League 2 happening happening again and we've seen another manager kind of albeit his first game in early days yet but kind of tripping up over that again as well and it was a bit weird that the you know you don't want to start getting into let's get tactical complaint it's far too early for that and he's only just learned about the players but 4-4-2 with the wide players he had and the setup it didn't really work and I think it's probably fair to say he's learned a lot out of that out of that game um, I mean Jamie Walker starting on the wing, uh, Poynton starting on the wing as well. It's t- and with Liam Rydell behind, linking up with Jamie Walker on the left hand side, Alex, that's not it's not great a partnership, is it really? It's a uh, it's one of those experiences, though, I guess. That it's good, it's good for him to learn this now. I mean, he I I assume the sort of logical jigsaw puzzle of the squad that he's inherited is going to become quite obvious. But if you want to play two strikers, 
that creates an immediate with probably Jamie Walker, who's obviously in your best 11 players. If you want to play two up top, he, he plays number 10. That doesn't work. Uh, so you need to find another place for him. So if you want to have him on the left-hand side, he can do that, but he's going to have to he's going to have to cut in. You know, he's gonna, that's his game. You know, he's not going to he's not going to spend that time out there. But you've got no one outside. <laughs> Liam Radel is not going to bomb on. That's not his game. That's not what he's that's not his skill set. So you've then you box yourself in on that side. On the other side, you know, it made a bit more sense. But I mean, I uh, I was listening to um, Philippe Mais, uh, uh, uh the best commentator that Radio Leeds have. Yep. Uh, and he was saying, uh, and he, he's brilliant as always, but he said sort of right at the start of the game, this game's going to be one I lost with Halliday. And he needs to run at pace into that space in front of him because that is how you spread them midfield. That's how you stretch them. That's how you create space. You've got to change the play quickly. Halliday's got to burst into that space to create the overload. That's how they're going to win or lose the game. And, you know, that's sort of where the goal case with created a few chances like that. But it was just, that's not his game. That's not what he's there. It's not, it's not, what, he's, it's not what he's comfortable doing. You know, then that's the... The challenge that I think he, he's going to become quite obvious, as I say, I think it's a good, it's a good lesson for him early because especially saying he had to play so many left backs, he can at least sort of sort of <laughs> see what he's got and the sort of versatility that he's got. But it, if he wants to play two up top, it the, the what do you then do with Walker becomes a big problem. And, it, and even if you don't want to, even if you put Walker to one side, Alex Patterson is also number ten. You know that's yep. his game. Harry Chapman also number ten. That's his game. This squad has not been built for the thing that he wants to do. Um, and if that you know if that's his that's the way he's always played that makes a lot of sense totally stick with it you can sort of make it work with um, uh, Cook and uh, Cook and Smith up front and you know I mean he missed an absolute sitter didn't he Smith but if that goes in they probably win the game he he's got a brace it's four four two it's working you know there there, there is a another parallel universe in which it's a bit more positive than it is now but if this is the way he wants to play his squad is not built for this. Yeah, and that and that is a problem because yeah, it's all very well to play two up top and and cook and and switch together, and I think many supporters have been crying out for two strikers there, but they were so isolated the two, the pair of them, they just City just could not get the ball up to them. The early doors they were knocking quite a lot of long balls up towards Smith, which was never really going to work. Um, it's not his game at all, and even and cook to a certain extent as well. It's not really you know he can hold up the ball, he can win flick ons, but he's not someone. Like like a Vidane Oliver or going back on many years, James uh, James Hansen is going to flick flick the ball on and win win it for the people. It, it's not his game either. And it was you're looking at it thinking, well, what's the plan here to get to get service into him? Because Barrow flooded the midfield. They had they had three centre backs as well, so so there was just no space there for for Smith or Cook to operate. And it was just a long afternoon for those for those two. And although Smith did score, and as you say, Mr. Sitter very, contributed very little, and, and Cook yeah. just worrying as I'm sure we'll come back to talk about Cook's form is a real concern at this moment in time and it just didn't look great and and obviously it's early days and Alexander would have learnt so much from that game um, and you'd like to see, I, I imagine he'll play slightly different than Notts County next week and, and understanding more what he's got in the building and maybe that's what he wants to get to long term 4-4-2 but, but right now it's it just didn't really work on the day. The only other sort of tactical sort of interesting bit I guess is the Walker played midfield basically for the yeah. second half. You think there's yeah. any legs in that? It's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, he looked he looked quite good actually, to be fair. And and I think he's having a decent season, Jamie Walker. Yeah. I think so far. I, I, I thought last season disappointing, really flat to deceive. He he'd obviously had injury problems, but his record wasn't great. But I think he's been one player this season who's really stood up to be counted in some mm-hmm. difficult moments. Always brave and wanting the ball. And yeah, I thought it was quite clever as in, in that cent- in that in that pl- position there in in the centre of the park and the way he linked up with players. I guess the question is kind of if you have him there. Can Smallwood play the defensive midfield role? To a certain extent, he can, but 
you probably wanting a bit more of a ball winner there, aren't you, for that kind yeah. of balance? Because Jane Walker's not going to get back and win the ball there. And we had sort of Smallwood being like the lone defensive minded central midfielder at the start, didn't we? Where we had the three and we were constantly yeah. overrun. You know, that's not as clearly he's more comfortable in a sort of double pivot type thing, and clearly Walker's more comfortable slightly further forward. Um, but, you know, if that's the way you want to play it, you can't play two up top. <laughs> you know, we're back, we're back in the same problem that we were at the start. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see, it'd be interesting to see where he goes because he came out pretty squarely and said in his post post match interviews, didn't he, that I'm playing two up top. This is how I play. Um, and it's I'd, I'd be surprised if he resolved from that instantly. But you know, even Andy Cook, you know, when was the last time Andy Cook like played for a prolonged period with a strike partner? You know, yeah, absolutely. But, he's never like really... Mansfield, I guess. <laughs> yeah, not here, right? Definitely not here. He, all yeah. the time he's been here, whether it's been Truman manager, whether it's Derek Adams, whether Mark Hughes, it's always been one up top, yeah. really. And he's been been in that. Obviously, at the start of the season, we tried that three-five-two um, formation then, and you know. He didn't really like he was jelly with anyone. They tried up front with him alongside. And and the other problem there is that, you know, Tyler Smith, as we said, not particularly impressive so far, hasn't really made much of an impact so far. But what else have you got? Because suddenly yeah. you've got Matt Derbyshire coming off the bench, who's not played in any way, shape or form since the Grimsby game, which is a long, long time ago with everything that's gone on. And, you know, then you've got nothing else really there that can, that can play up front. And obviously we need Vidane and Oliver back. But even then, you're not, you're not really looking at Cook and Oliver as a partnership so gonna be interested to see what happens on that side of it um now the dust has settled though what do you make of the uh, graham alexander appointment do you think he's the right man i think he's a right man <laughs> i'm not sure if he's the right man but i think he's definitely a right man i think it's a good appointment yeah i mean in the sense that he's credible he's got a good track record you know he's in in line of the sort of previous appointments that they've had with you know grayson Bowyer, Hopkins to sort of an extent, Adams, you know, all very credible, all good managers. Um, he's done well before. He's had he's had some failings, but, you know, Phil Parkinson flamed out at, at Hull, didn't he, before he came yeah, to yeah. us uh, sort of 10 years ago. So there, it's not like a perfect CV, but when you're 18th in League Two, you're not getting someone with a perfect CV because if they had a perfect CV, they're certainly not coming here. Um, so I think it's a cal- calculated risk. I think it's a sensible appointment. It'd be the one we were talking about as the in this interminable 33-day dragging on appointment process. We were saying, but we I think we, we were all of the view, at least in our sort of uh, width of a post chat, that the he's the least risky option for them. And I think it makes a lot of sense once he became available and he was clearly interested. So I think it's a good appointment. Um, it's a three-year contract, which you know I think always makes me laugh because you know, <laughs> it's clearly not going to stay out three years if you look at recent history. But uh, good to be optimistic, um, and I think it's a decent appointment. And t- and to be honest, I think I know Tim was very pro Williamson, and I'm pretty sure Williamson is is would have been a better appointment than 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 Alexander would have been clearly given another one of our peer teams literally just sacked our manager to a point someone else. <laughs> um, but I think. Williamson at the MK Dons, I think, makes sense in the way they want to play and what their club's yeah. actually about. I don't think he really makes sense here. I think Alexander does make sense here. You know, he's a bit more pragmatic. He's a bit more, you know, he's, you know, been around the leagues a long time. He's, you know, up, get up and at him, you know, very sort of pragmatic. That, that fits us more than a sort of revolutionary pass it out from the back thing. Doesn't really sit as neatly with me. So I think it might be the best for everyone. I mean, sort of, I think it's fine. I think, you know, as we can see over the last 10 years, there's probably more to it than the guy in charge. But uh, you know, I think it's a decent appointment. I mean, you, you were pretty positive about it by, uh, by the end, Jace. 
Yeah, I think obviously there's a sense of relief that we've actually appointed someone. <laughs> it's been such a long process. Um, and I think at that point then, when you look to the candidates, obviously Danny Cowley was uh, probably the standout candidate. Um, we'll talk probably briefly about him, obviously, um, reportedly turning down the opportunity to come to Bradford City. Um, and I think at that point then, you're looking at who's around there. And it's like you say, it's, it's almost the least risky. And at this point in time, with everything that's gone on and with the pressure building on the club and questions about the leadership of the club and those at the top, you don't really want to do something too left field at this moment in time or something that could go spectacularly wrong and equally you don't want to go and do something that's a little bit more controversial like uh, you know Joey Bart has been mentioned over the weekend in terms of that he apparently interviewed for the job right at the end um, having been sat by Bristol Rovers and he'd have been a very divisive figure um, yep. so in that sense you know his track record Alexander it's good. It's decent. You know, he looked at Fleetwood. You know, he did well there. He got them promoted into League One. And, you know, there's a bit of money behind them, but still that's a good achievement for a club of Fleetwood stature. Uh, Scunthorpe, he did a really, really, really well, well there. And you think of that, that era when, you know, McCall, Stuart McCall was back at Bradford City as well and we, we were pushing at the top with people like Sheffield United and Bolton at the top of League One Scunthorpe were leading the way for quite a while that year weren't they and although they faded slightly still reached the playoffs and that was still a good achievement considering some big fish in League One at that moment in time and, um, and behind the scenes as, as has been proven ever <laughs> since he left clearly not always well behind the scenes in that team. Yeah. clearly a difficult gig as well yeah um, and then he did Salford he got them into the Football League again you know there's, there's big expectations there, big budgets and did all right in that first season and was very unlucky to be sacked and Gary Noble's yeah. on record saying that was a mistake to sack him when they did sack him. Obviously then more recently there's been failures there. If you look at the um, Motherwell, um, it started really well, did, uh, did well for a while but then fell away badly and MK Dons is a funny one and as you say I think it wasn't probably the right fit there for Alexander because he started well there. You know, MK Dons started the season really well, got manager of the month award but yeah. there were complaints about playing style straight away and playing the MK Dons way which then he tried to pivot towards and then that the results then failed went went away and he got the sack. So it was a I think there is a as you say, I think there's a logic that he, Alexander seems to be a better fit for a Bradford, club like Bradford City than, than a club like MK Dons. So probably not too massive amount to read in, in the fact that he ultimately had thirteen league games at MK Dons, which is pretty ridiculous really. Even even by our standards that would be quite a shocking <laughs> if that happened. Um so you know it's fair enough, isn't it? Um and one thing I was what is interesting about uh, Alexander and it's something that Ryan Sparks said in the press conference last week when he was announced when, when they were confirming the manager um, Graham was a manager who a couple of years ago we would have liked to have brought here before he went to Motherwell actually he certainly was in our thinking then but he chose another Claret Number club instead of the Bantams so he was appointed Motherwell manager in January 2021 so that suggests City were When's looking that? at him it was, would have been when they sacked Stuart McCall and when Mark Truman and Connor Sellers ended right. up taking on the role Um is it fair to say, is it, you know, he, the, the insinuation there from, from Ryan Sparks is that they reached out to him, he wasn't interested. Now he is obviously interested. Have Has he set his sights a little lower now, had a couple of failures, or is, is Bradford City slightly more attractive? Because again, Sparks has talked about the standard applicants being high and suggested the legacy of Hughes' impact at City may have improved that the attractiveness of that position a little bit. Is it, where, where do you think it is? I think it's probably, I mean, I can understand why you'd take a job in the SPL, right? I mean, Motherwell, he literally got them to Europe, right? I'm not sure which of the sort of European, there's too many European tournaments. I'm not, I think it might have been the UEFA Cup, the, whatever the UEFA Cup is called now, not the Euro Johnny Paint, not the West Ham one. But I think he got the, he got, he was, got them in Europe, which is a real yeah. achievement, right? And you're in the SPL, big, you know, it's a bit much bigger sort of league. I can totally understand why that's more attractive than this. And I think him going to the MK Dons after a bit of time out, 
you know, when they've just been relegated, they kind of want to study. I can understand why they were attracted into that, but clearly their heart wasn't in it, you know, giving it sacked him so quickly. I think for him, there's a risk of you, if you're on the carousel and you don't get appointed very quickly, there's a risk that it spirals out. So I think for him, getting a job quite quickly, I think was quite important. Um, and, you know, I think if you read his intro, you know, all his thoughts about it, it's a really big club. It's a juggernaut if you can get it going, you know, etc. They all say that. They've, like, <laughs> Sammy Grayson said a version of that. And, you, you know, they've all, Gary Bowie has said that. David Ockin will have said something like that. You know, Adams will have said something like that. They've all said that. We, this is this, It's the same thing that everyone always says when they take us over. And they're not wrong. That if you can get it going, you know, you can do great stuff here. It's just getting it, getting it going. It's thing. So I, th- I don't think necessarily we're more attractive. I, I guess we're about the same. I mean, we are, when we sacked McCall, we were like 20, what were we, 23rd, 22nd? We were like sort of relegation yeah. zone-ish, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we obviously had a bit of a run under Truman and Sellers. So if he was looking at like January 21, we'd have probably been about 18th. You know, we're probably exactly the same. Um, and I guess his desire to get a job and, and ours is, is higher. So I think it's probably more him than us um, after a couple of failures. But, you know, it bodes well that it shows a sort of consistency in thought, I guess, from the club that they were interested in two years ago, and they're still they're still interested in him, and they've they made the appointment. I think that's positive. Yeah. I think what's interesting about where we are looking at it now is, is expectations, really, for Alexander this season and next season, because you go back to sacking Mark Hughes at the start of October, um, having had a slow start to season. You sack a manager that moment then because you obviously still believe you can get promoted this season and you're thinking that Hughes is not the person to do that. Obviously, we'll come on to talk about the 33 days and what's going on there and, and the rights and wrongs of, of, of kind of what's been a period of real uncertainty. But now Alexander's in the in the, in the in the dugout, there's almost kind of, although there's still an expectation of promotion, you can see the mood music is slightly changing and it's almost now like, well, he's got to sort the squad out and he can't realistically get promoted this season. And, is that right? I mean, do we... I don't want to say we're right off the season. Of course we don't. It's November. But is there almost a bit of now where we're almost going in our heads a little bit like this the season's kind of not going to work out as it wants to be? We just have to spend it fixing things, really? I think if you look at... When they sacked when they sacked Hughes, if you're sacking Hughes in October, as we said you know, last time we were here, they're doing that to get reaction. They, they kind of think, we're trying to get promoted here. This isn't going to work. We need to do something. It was like an urgent. It was an act of desperation. I agree with you. That's not how they seem to be talking now. That's not the mood music, certainly amongst the fans. And I think seemingly coming out of the club as well, it seems like they've tempered their own expectations. They said they might have sort of seen reality. I mean, we did a, it was in in the appointment article that you did, but we looked at sackings from the bottom half of League Two over the last decade. Literally one team out of 100 sackings have made the playoffs. You know, it's not a thing that happens. (laughs) If If you sack your manager in League Two and you're in the bottom half, it's probably because your team is a, you know, not where you want it to be. Um, and, you know, you're not going to be capable of getting the manager because if you're capable of making that leap, you won't be sacking your manager. Um, so it's not really a thing that happens. It doesn't, it feels like it's like plausible. You you can talk yourself into it being, oh, we're only nine points off the playoffs. So, you know, get a bit of run off. But it literally never happens. So it's, uh, it's one of the things that I think can be quite tantalizing to think you can do it. But actually, it's just not really a thing that you can sack your manager early on in the season and then go on a run. You know, it's happened once. And even then, that tram may finish seventh and lost in the first round of the playoffs. You know, they, they still never got promoted. So it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a tantalising thing. I think as soon as they were in the mode of sacking him, I think they should have just accepted the season was gone. And because I, I think the season has probably gone, 
Um, if they can get themselves into a position by the end of the year where the manager knows what he wants to do and they can have a run in next summer, that feels like the space that they're in. I mean, he, clearly, if he goes on a great run, then, then then fantastic. But that feels very that feels very hard to believe with this squad that this is a this is a promotion squad. I mean, you've you've probably seen him more than me, Jace. Do you think there is a we're going to go on a tear and win sort of five out of six? Do they look like they're on the verge of that? No, I really haven't seen any evidence really of that all season for me. The performances have been very un- un- unconvincing. And, and as we'll talk about the squad a little bit later on, there's just so much imbalance there. And you look at some of the signings in the summer and they're just very disappointing. They haven't, you know, we didn't lose a lot last uh, back in the last summer because, you, you know, the season, because you, you looked after the Carlisle playoff defeat, you, you could fear the worst a little bit in thinking that Cook's out of contract, you know, we could, we, we could potentially lose him, there'd be a lot of interest in there. Harry Lewis attracting interest, as as was proven over the summer, you could have lost him. You're obviously losing Scott Banks, you're losing Romney Critchlow. You could have really seen coming to the season thinking we're going to be really, really weak there, but we haven't, albeit we lost Banks and Critchlow, we haven't necessarily gone into it too much weaker. Not like if you say compared to the League One playoff final defeat to Millwall, where we lost five or six really important players that summer, and that caused problems, there's no reason for us to be kind of really as struggling as much as we are doing. But equally, we haven't strengthened in the right areas. We haven't really brought that the right players in there, and no. it, therefore we just do, doesn't feel like the improvements that we need last season. We haven't really made, perhaps with the exception of Alex Patterson, who's obviously had injury problems, but we haven't kicked on in that same way and obviously as we talk about you know some of the other players just haven't hit that same heights this season so yeah it's very hard to see it really at the moment and even Patterson is sort of strength on strength right because he's very duplicative of Walker they stand in the same position they fill the same spaces it, the, the, what, he's, he's both of their upsides are going to be curtailed by the fact they're both there and you've also got Harry Chapman who's now obviously just coming back from you know his own sort of, uh, sort of injury at the start of the season but if Patterson is fit and Walker's playing well Harry Chapman doesn't play, so it's, even if you're, it, that's the big success signing, he's been injured, and actually, that wasn't an area that was crying out for sort of needing help. Right, that was one of the areas that we're actually sort of okay at in terms of squad. So yeah, it's a, it really doesn't feel like that. And the thing that we said um, last time, and this is the thing that I, the big opportunity I think for Alexander in sort of what he, what he needs to focus on over the next few weeks. Obviously, he's just sort of working out who's who he thinks is good and who isn't. The big opportunity I think is Lewis. Because we said at the start of the season, the big challenge they've got this year is Cook is not going to score 28 goals again because it's sort of unsustainably good, and he's you know he's back to his goal scoring rate of the previous seasons before he's back you know he's he's, he's come back down to earth back towards his sort of average. Um, you know he's he seems like he's having a down season, but his scoring rate per minute is exactly the same as it was two seasons ago. So he's right back where he's where he would normally be. It's not that he's having a bad season; he's just back to normal. And the other thing was Lewis can't play this well again. You know, he's he was so good last season. Um, he he's gonna take a step back just on the laws of averages, uh, yeah. and he has massively. And I think he's probably gone the other side of the mean. Like he is not he's not only gone back come back down to earth. He's fallen down into the earth's core of it. You know, he's having a really bad season, um, and that all seems confidence because he's clearly capable. He's, there's no capability problem with him. You know, he was being linked with the the clubs in high divisions when he's clearly capable. But it's a huge cut. Something has happened to his confidence. It's completely shot. That's yeah. where a new manager and a new voice and some new people around. That's where you can add value. And if you can get him feeling confident again and feeling good again, you make your side a lot better. You make your side a lot better um, yeah. defensively. And that's where there's a big opportunity. There are things like that across the squad where actually a new voice might really help. And I think was it um, was it Jamie Walker? I forget. Uh, someone was interviewed 
on after the Saturday defeat after Wickham, uh, I think it was Jamie Walker who's in the he's in the TNA and they were saying he was saying now you know I think a new manager comes in you'll see actually there's a lot of upside we played really well against Wickham and you know lost to a better team which is fair enough but he also said we just kind of want one voice now you know we've had lots of people mm. trying to in, in, get, put in their views which is great and you know we've obviously tried to make the best of it but it's we just kind of want one voice and I think actually for the squad to have someone who is in charge who can sit and work with them and try and get their confidence back up a bit I think there's there's big strides that can be made I don't think they're going to be able to make the playoffs I don't think I think that's too far I don't think the, the squad is where they are you can't do that much wonders with confidence but there are some relatively e- not easy wins but there are things that you don't have to change new players you just need to work with Harry and get his confidence back up you need to work with the defence and just like Sam Stubbs I think is a good defender he hasn't been nowhere near the level he was last year yep. in, from what I've seen so uh, there are players like that where they've got the capability they just need to and you know, feel better about themselves Richie Smallwood the same several ways shown that he can perform well but you know, hasn't really hit that side that often so I think there are things that Alexander can do promotion this year feels like a big step yeah absolutely we asked the question on Twitter in terms of what people have made so far of uh, of the appointment of Alexander and kind of these early days now they're just a settle a little bit uh, Mike Bradley says it's too soon to tell as he said in an interview it would be nice not to have to concede early and and how the players took on his asks only fr- only had three training sessions this is obviously before the Barrow game Notts County will show more his post-match interview was balanced and fair I thought Ollie says considering the manager knew they were second choice after Cowley found out where Bradford is it's best. It's the best we could have hoped for Matthew Wilkerson says I'm pretty pleased with Alexander's appointments knows the league and more importantly the players which Hughes lacked January should be very interesting would he sign the players Gent's track record has been poor so far will Graham even decide to keep him John Collins says I think Alexander is a good appointment but the tools he has to work with are the same until he can start to shape the squad for himself problem with that is we could be relegation fodder by the end of this season and James says my prediction is we'll continue to struggle up until the end of the season with the excuse it's not his squad of players allowing to recruit his own players in the summer because of that and then sack him in October after poor start to the season yeah James we've all seen this before haven't we so that <laughs> seems a very fair prediction to make and finally James says um, solid the issue he faces is the climate and culture of incompetence at the club tough to achieve anything against this backdrop if he turns it around and delivers success he'll rightly be celebrated as wonderful but he'll probably be gone by this time next year <laughs> um, and that just slightly moves on nicely to talk about in terms of the wider situation at the football club uh, and, and in particular the 33 days that were in between Hughes getting the sack and Alexander finally being appointed um, and I guess you know we go back to that point in terms of you know has the season is a season already potentially a write-off is it too much to make up and you go back to the decision to sack Hughes and I think all of us at that point you know you could see the writing was on the wall there the feeling was we need a plan here we need a plan to be executed right from the moment you sack the manager and if you make that change really quickly and smoothly then you're in a position to rectify that season and well Alex I think it's fair to say it's been anything but hasn't it yeah I mean they might have had a plan the 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 plan did not work obviously this is not how they would have drawn it up and we were they the, we sort of said it earlier that the thing that is discordant, there is a dissonance in their actions where you sack a manager very sort of abruptly. I mean, they won 4-1 10 days before they sacked him. You know, he had yep. two defeats and they intervene and sack him. Enough is enough. Um, and then spend 33 days waiting to hire a replacement in which time, you know, we've now lost four out of our last five and are in an 18th. You know, and now, you know, the position is way far harder than it was. So I think taking the big picture view, those two things don't talk to each other. That is, there's clearly something has gone awry in whatever they thought they were going to do. And the, the most plausible, I would suggest from the outside solution is they saw the fans' reaction after the Tramway game, thought, right, we've got whacked. 
let's try and get to the weekend. Oh, we've won. That's bought us a week. Oh, and you can sort of see how they've ended up where they've ended up. And I think in the spirit of generosity to the club, they're trying to be positive. If you put yourself in the shoes of the decision makers at the club, whoever, whoever is actually making decisions, that the after that Tranmere game, I think we said on air, right? I watched that. You were there. Yep. That atmosphere was bad, right? Yeah. I can understand. If you're Sparks and you see that, you're like, right, I've got to do something. Yeah, we, and I, I kind of, yeah. The question about should he have thought about that in the preceding month and come up with a plan to implement on that basis, I think that is the mistake. But once you're in that position, you're right, I can understand, right, I've got to act. As McDonald was doing well in his first first game, second game, third game, still doing pretty well, I can understand if you don't really know, if you don't really have a plan, you don't really have an outstanding candidate that you really want to put a point. Just let it play out and see what happens. I mean, I was sort of advocating that at the time. I think that's sort of sensible. You can sort of justify that. Um, as the results started to tail off, I mean, that MK Dons game was an eye for everyone. That was a terrifying watch. Yep. Um, they then moved to act relatively quickly in the point Cowley. That obviously went wrong. <laughs> it's not <laughs> ideal, but you know, you could see they tried to act and then they had to wait another week. Uh, things continued to go wrong. Uh, but then they appointed Alexander next. So you can sort of say... Or, uh, what I'm saying is, 33 days sounds like a long time, and it is, right? And it's cost them the season, in my in my opinion. I think that they, you know, they, they were probably never going to go anywhere anyway. But that 33 days of stasis is sort of kind of the season, I think. Um, but if you put yourself in the day to day of Sparks, living that, living that sort of day, if you're getting to the next day, right? What should I do today? You can sort of see how he ended up where he's ended up. Uh, you, I can sort of understand that. Um, and being and sort of just trying to be generous of the situation that they're in is obviously not easy. The I would I would like to think there's sort of lessons in looking back, say right, what could I have done? <laughs> what could I have done differently in the previous times? Lots of things that they can reflect on and learn as a club, which which is certainly the bigger issue. But the 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 thing that would be more, more disheartening, I I think. He lived this before. He done. He, I mean, the Truman and Spark, the, the Truman and Sellers thing is the thing that I can't get past with him. He has literally done. You've done this. <laughs> like the, if you look back at the over the last five years in League Two, this is the longest anyone's gone between second and an appointment and a formal appointment, except for Ryan Sparks last time when he kept <laughs> Truman and Sellers as interim manager for three months and then appointed them and then immediately went in on to sack them. That the, He is he is the, the author of the two longest gaps in in-season sort of uh, appointment things in the last three years. Uh, that's frustrating, uh, I would suggest. And again, something for them to reflect on in the, in, in the club about you know the lessons they can learn for next time. It feels like a long time. I think it's cost them their season. But I can see, empathising with them, I can see how they've ended up where they've ended up, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that's totally fair, and I, I I think you're absolutely spot on in terms of you can when you're in that position there where you might not have a plan, and you're not sure who to who to point. The way that things went so well under McDonald initially, you know, it did kind of encourage that moment to take your time and see how this plays out, and and to and and to and to try and make a more considered decision. I think the problems were really came obviously after the MK Dons game, where yeah. out of nowhere we we had an absolute battering, and then suddenly there was a real kind of feeling of. We need to act quickly. We need to be yeah. faster with this now. You know, this is this is not a time now to be indecisive, and and that kind of sped things up a little bit. And obviously, then you had the Sutton defeat, which even added further further to that. Then the Cowley thing falls through, and I think as supporters at that point, in the main, you know, you've always got your kind of outline as people who are always negative about the football club and who are always piling on that pressure and criticism, and that's only a minority really, I think, of supporters. And I think most people are 
reasonably minded and are well prepared to back the club and to be supportive of what they're trying to do and be sympathetic. But there was that point when they released a statement just before the Man City um, Cup game, um, the other 20, Man City Under-21s Cup game, where they, obviously at that point then Cowley, as it was emerged a couple of days later, had turned down the position according to Ian Dennis of the BBC. Um, and we put a statement saying we're swapping over caretaker managers and, and that Truman was going to take charge of the weekend game. And I think that was a point where he kind of the club really lost a lot of yeah. sensible-minded people, people who were really supportive of the football club because it just looked really, really poor. And then I think what's kind of added to that then since that, obviously you, get, you eventually get Alexander over the line, that should be a good moment. The communications have not been good enough. They've been lacking for too long in a period. But then I think when the communications did finally come, there was a real lack of humility and humbleness and just openness and honestness about about the situation where I think people would forgive a lot really because we don't I don't expect perfection from Ryan Sparks from Stefan Rupp from anyone at the football club because it's very difficult to for any f- football club to make decisions when you're at a whim of how how a game goes on the Saturday no one can whoever however good you are can can dictate those results on a Saturday when you are an off the field chairman or CEO so you've got that sympathy but to go into that kind of the press conference and things like that and not kind of be that honest and not be that open about it again I think that really alienated people and you go back to the quote that Sparks gave in that press conference about Alexander which was everything considered there is no doubt in my mind Graham was a number one candidate and I'm absolutely thrilled to get him over the line and when as supporters we know you've <laughs> took an age to get there and you Cowley's turned down the job that is the moment where you just go that's not you're not you're not being fair I don't think with supporters when you when you when you say things in that way because we know a different version of events and maybe the Cowley things are completely wrong but you'd never come out and denied that and I, and I think that's where the where the moments where you're losing the majority of supporters with moments like that it would it, I mean I'm not a I'm not a journalist obviously uh if when he said that if Jamie Rayner was saying, it's interesting that he's the number one candidate for the job. Why did you offer it to your number two candidate before him? That's <laughs> interesting strategic decision that you offered it to someone else before him. I mean, the th- the, I mean, the, again, they're trying to spin it, right? In the same way that they're, they're trying to come up with a positive spin to justify their actions over the last month by saying, we've done over 60 hours of interviews because we're being diligent and that's why it's taken so long because we're being diligent. Alexander came out two days later and said, I got my agent to ring them and say, have you made a choice yet? Because I'll be up for this. And then they appointed him in two days. And like that, <laughs> that doesn't chime with the fact that you were taking your time. He had to ring you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and he sort of said this in the TNA, like last week. Um, it Again, they're trying to put a positive spin on it, but they're, you know, it's, it's treating like idiots. You know? <laughs> I think that genuinely, as, I've, as we just went through a minute ago, I can totally empathise with the position, you know. You just say, like, look, yeah, you know, things. Uh, this is why we left it. We then decided that we needed to act. We tried to make a decision. Didn't work through, unfortunately. And then, you know, we already told Kev that he could step back and, you know, then we didn't want to put him yeah. back on the spot. So, you know, we sort of did what we do. Got through it. We've now got a really good manager that we're really happy with. Um, and, you know, things are really looking up now. And we've got to bring, come, all come together and support. And, like, you can be grown up and say something sensible like that. Absolutely. Perfectly yeah. plausible. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever, fine. You know, let's, like, Alexander's pretty good. You, you could have spun this into a positive, but I think by trying to say, yeah, this was the plan all along, it's just hollow, isn't it? It's just everyone knows it's hollow. We know it's hollow. They know it's hollow. <laughs> it, it, it then comes back. I think the bigger the bigger issue, I think, is something that you you were mentioning weeks ago, actually, sort of even before the four Hughes went, I think it was it's you and Tim mentioned this. The only person who spoke publicly about City for the last year has been Hughes. Yeah. And then you sack him and there's no one talking. <laughs> and, you know, if you leave a vacuum, people put their own words in, don't they? I mean, that's the this sort of rule one of comms. Um, and you know he's a Sparks a comes guy he knows it's better than I do 
Um, but the, that's the challenge, I think, for them, is that they can't get themselves back into a position where the only person talking is Alexander. Because then if and when Alexander goes, who's talking? Someone's got to talk, right? And that seems to be the bigger thing. And then when they do talk, they're not, as, as you were saying, the sort of messaging could probably have been nuanced a bit in terms of what they were saying. And then again, now everyone is in a bit of a negative mindset, which is not really where you want them to be. Yeah, uh, and I think this is this is the frustration, I think, because the the announcement of Alexander um, a week ago, that should have been a bit of a reset, really. Mm. You know, the mood's not been great. We've had lots of negative, but you know what? We've got the manager now. Let's be excited about it. Yeah. And instead, that week in the build-up to the Barrow game, it didn't get that reset because, because of the press conference and some of the comments in that press conference, which just didn't chime with reality of what... What rightly or wrongly, the perception we supporters have been given over the last few weeks about what's going on at this football club, and it didn't give that reset that it should have done, really. Which, as you know, it just could have been handled differently. I think there's equally adding to that is the Derek Adams comments. Um, you know, in terms of uh, you know, he's Adams is having a good season at Morecambe. He's kind of rebuilding his reputation after a difficult time, and and he's he's had a little bit of a. I don't even think it's really a pop up. Obviously, he's been asked a question. He's about asked a question. He's given an answer. Yeah. yeah, he gave an answer and. You know, you, you can argue that it's, it's a little politician's bluff. I don't think he said anything too disrespectful or anything, but equally hasn't necessarily been honest about his own failings in the job. But you know what? The comments he's made about things like, you know, well, I'll read some of it, you know. He has the biggest support base in the league. It's one of the smallest clubs inside the league. It's got no structure, doesn't own its own stadium, doesn't own its training ground and has no foundation to it. To be fair to the club CEO, Ryan Sparks, he spent some money getting new seats into the stadium. They're doing that. They spent 500k on rent each year just to start the season. So they have to spend 500k on rent each year just to start the season. Then they have to do maintenance on the stadium as well. Not easy. But it's not just a manager, the CEO, board of directors. If you've got 20 managers over 20 years, your recruitment process of people at the top, there's got to be something wrong somewhere. And I think with all those comments, they're all issues that are long-standing at the yeah. football club that are well before Stefan Rook, before Ryan Sparks. You know, this, these are the kind of comments Mark Lorne was talking about a yeah. decade ago. Was, you were right. Was, you were right. You were right about this on the boy from Brazil. Like yeah, all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> you know, Mark Lorne was saying that it's a real problem. We don't own a stadium. We pay this much in rent. It's a real issue. There's nothing wrong with. The, talking about these as issues and problems that we've got to, you know, got to deal with and manage really, and I think to, you know, to to have when when and you said that and Ryan Sparks, you know, kind of quite showing a little bit of a questionable poker face in terms of did he know those comments beforehand, but just to bite back and have a, have a bit of a go again, it's just kind of this is not. No, let's just have a bit more honesty. Let's have a bit more openness because we're not a perfect football club and we can understand that as supporters and we're not asking for perfection. But I think just that bit more honesty and openness and frankness would just, I think, would help everyone really rather than just pretending everything's wonderful when it doesn't look that way from the outside. Um, yeah, so it's it's been difficult, hasn't it? But there obviously there's, there's talk and frustration. Where do you think it goes now as, as supporters now with, with what's happened at the club? I think that if they just... Yeah, a couple of wins will do the world of good. And I think, you know, some positivity. I think Alexander comes across very well. He's a good speaker, which I think is definitely one of the... If, if he's going to be the one who's doing all the talking, that was definitely one of the criteria. And I think he's good. He comes across very credibly. He's very positive. So get a bit of form. I, th I think it'll be all right. As the as, as Derek Adams says... In, he, again, the frustrating thing about the whole furore about it is that I don't think his comments are even controversial, but the you got 20 managers in 20 years. It's not really about the manager, is it? It's like a spot on. Like He's a complete, very good diagnosis. And again, it is still the time that the club need to reflect on. Why is it that we've had 20 managers in 20 years instead of just yep. saying, oh no, he's just, uh, you know, he's just a failure. He failed here and he's after an excuse, which, you know, there might be something in that. Uh, he clearly didn't say, you know, one of the reasons I failed is because, you know, 
I signed a lot of rubbish and we didn't play very well and I didn't do my job as well as I could have. You know, he could have he could have prefaced it in a more humble way, but you know, this is Derek Adams. But the but the what what he said wasn't wasn't wrong, wasn't controversial, and that is the stuff they should be reflecting on. This is stuff we've been saying for years. This everyone who's been writing about the cover and watching the cover has been saying it for years. Uh, so a bit of sort of self awareness would, would would probably be positive. I think we'll. Couple wins will be fine. I think that the, the the manager's good. They just need to get themselves just some sort of positivity. A new contract for Bobby Poynton, something like that. Just a yep. good news story that they can that they can land. I think could be very positive. Yeah, um, and I, and I think it's important for balance that we and we do need to make this clear that you know there's a lot of things that Ryan Sparks in particular has done over the three years that he's been a CEO that, that are very good. And the club is a lot more professional these days. It's run very well off the field. Um, the revenues up, the the commercial stuff that they do, which obviously Ryan has a big part in overseeing, is, is really good. I think some of the relationships with supporters has been improved. We've in, they've made enhancements to Valley Parade on the match day that's made it better. Things like the fan zone, things like even that mural that they put over the summer is really nice. I was in the cop on uh, on Saturday, obviously, and I noticed that there was, they had like a little stop that's selling merchandise in the ground now on, on, in the cop, which I thought was a great idea, really, because you know it's it's extra things that can just get a bit of extra money in there as well. And there's a lot of things that that are good about this football club. I don't personally want to join him in any kind of protest towards Stefan Rupp because I think that while as we talked about a lot of length and there's a long episode to the podcast now, but wrote about it, you know, there's there's he's kind of been left holding a bag of well you know what really but after what has gone on really and he's tried to continue to run the club and let Lake make sure that it's still here and stable and, and yes he's not injecting his own money in there but he, that was never the deal from day one so I think there's a lot there the football club that there's no reason why we can't be successful and the people running the football club can't bring success to this football club and deserve our backing for that but I think some of the football decisions that have been made over the last few months just haven't really inspired confidence No and I mean we will come on to the players in a sec but the one of the things that really stood out to me over the last few weeks and it, it, again they need to understand that the club the context in which this is all happening right this is happening in the context of a sort of muddled transfer window is a way of putting it I think they clearly pivoted their plans halfway through the window which is obviously not ideal we played a game against Wrexham it's probably the best we've played in a yep. while um, not one of the starters that day were, were, were any of our new signings you know, everyone who started that day was here last year and you know that is not a ringing endorsement of your transfer activity over the summer. If you can play, we signed eleven people over the summer, and not one of them was in that starting eleven, and that's been our best performance all season. So that is the context in which this is happening. The club is like, on football-related decisions; they are not acting with a clear mind. The decisions are not coming off. Uh, you know, it's all you know. It's still very short term, but that's the context in which they're talking, right? The, play, the squad's just not there, and yeah. they they signed all these players. I'm just going to do a quick Tim on you and just slightly correct you there in terms of uh, Ash Taylor played against Wrexham so there was one signing one, in this, one, in this one thing there. But I, I think the point is still is still really valid and even on Saturday there was only two of the 11 players that started the game were, were summer signings which I think says a lot. Uh, anyway, we asked a question out there on Twitter in terms of what people have made of the 33-day search for the next Bradford City manager and the way the club has gone about things. This is Twitter. It's never going to be pretty so some of the responses <laughs> haven't been too nice so uh, look away now if you're listening to the football club uh, Ian Hemming says it was clear to fans Mark Hughes seemed to lose interest after the playoff defeat his man on the touchline was different the change of system wasn't working and he almost gave up a plan should have always been in place for succession what if he was offered a bigger job Rob Hunt says just fairly typical of the appalling lack of professionalism pre- present at the senior levels in the club 
Matthew Wilkinson says, I think Sparks was hoping that Big Kev would want the job given the start he had and was probably thinking Christmas came early for him and the search was over. Keith Bruce says, fairly certain despite Sparks' claim at the press conference, Alexander was not first choice. He hasn't been sacked at MK Dons until well after Hughes was sacked. After initial burst of wins, I think Sparks hoped McDonald would change his mind, then went with Cowley, who U-turned. Uh, Blake says, either not many applicants are waiting for the perfect hire. Whatever occurred, the process took way too long. Yes, Kevin McDonald did an okay job managing the squad, but taking this long damaged the goal of promotion, which is increasingly looking like a long shot this season. Uh, Chris says, never seen a cl- another club mid-season take this long to get another manager in. All this rubbish about due diligence annoys me. From the outside, it is obvious there is no plan. Another manager to throw in and hope they succeed. Uh, B says, symptomatic of a club run without any strategy or long-term thinking. The club needs a clear out of all those involved in decision-making. That's probably a bit too much, but, you know, like I said, just reading out some of the tweets there. Um, Silver says it was a shambles. And... Um, uh, James says, Hughes' sacking didn't come as a surprise, so I have no idea why we weren't ready for it. feel like we lost a lot of momentum in that period, which the new manager could have built upon. Okay, moving on. Um, one of the big things that's kind of come out um, over the last few days with the appointment of Alexander has been very much talk that uh, as a football club that we our squad is too big and that we not to need to reduce it in size. Um, it's something certainly that Ryan Sparks and Graham Alexander are in unison about. Uh, they both see that there's too many players there and they want to trim that down. Obviously, Alexander probably used to working with a smaller squad there. Um, and it does throw open the question, really, in terms of new manager coming in. You know where where are we going to be in terms of who's going to be successful in this this kind of look at who's going to do well and who's probably going to struggle from here on inwards and let's start Alex with Andy Cook and Harry Lewis who we talked a little bit about but you know they're the two standout players of last season and it's not going well this season for either of them really is it no and the and if those two players aren't at the top of the game we've got no chance right so I mean that's sort of the where you start one of the things that I was wrong about last year. And I think it probably was on here criticising Mark Hughes at the time for resting, I think, in January, Andy yeah. Cook. And, you know, he was he just said, we've just got to take him out of the firing line. We were playing Vidane Oliver, not playing very well from memory, um, and not scoring many goals. And I was just like, yes, he's mad. You know, he's like your best player. You're like resting him just in case for something later. But was proven massively wrong because actually after that break, he came back and was, you know, firing second half season. It was a really good managerial decision because he understood when to take all his like very, very good man management. Um, they can't do that this year. <laughs> they haven't no. been able to do that. And he's dead on his feet. He's probably still injured from when he was injured in the first place. Yeah. And has had to be rushed back. Hasn't looked himself all year. He had one. He got a hat-trick, didn't he, at Newport, I think? Which is yeah. Like half his goals came in one game. Very unlike him. You look through basically his entire career. He's been in two massive sort of barren spells this season. Very out of character for him. Um, he just needs a break. He's like de- in desperate need of a break, but they've got no one who they can spell him with because they haven't got... The only backup they've got for him is for Dane Oliver. He's obviously still injured. Um, and they didn't think to get to get another one, you know. And the that's the the, the sort of big task I think in for this season because both Lewis well we've got an option to extend Lewis's contract which I, I assume we'd exercise Cook is obviously under contract for the next three years so Graham Alexander is going to have to spend a lot of time with Andy Cook over the next three years so he's going to have to this isn't just a this season thing for him they've got to find a way to sort of extend his career to 2026 because that's where his contract goes they've got to get his confidence back and they've got to find a way to get him fitter more often so whether that's you know you, he only plays 70 minutes or he you know drops out doesn't play Tuesdays or whatever you need to build a squad that enables you to do that and they maybe they sort of did with Oliver, but he's been injured for most of his time here, so it's obviously not not really worked. But how you can get Harry Lewis's confidence back 
and how you can get Andy Cook playing closer to 100%. Because at the minute, he looks like he's at about 70, 65. Yeah. You know, he looks nowhere near it. And it's not his fault. He's trying really hard. And he's, he's not absolutely no criticism of him. He's running himself into the ground. But he's clearly not right. Um, how you fix those two problems is sort of job one and job two, I think, for Alexander. Yeah. Um, as, as you said earlier, you know, with Lewis, it's gone from exceptional form to below average form, isn't it? Yeah. It's a real, real turnaround. And it's still producing some brilliant saves at times and even you think of the MK Dons game where he's slightly poor play let um Cosina Corner let you know let MK Dons open the scoring. He then made some brilliant yeah. saves later on in the game. Absolutely fantastic. But he's he's making too many errors and you know the Wickham Cup game was a good example of that as well. Um even the Barrow game you think slightly maybe could have done a little bit better with that first goal. Um but the fact we're kinda of questioning now at every point kind of says as well kind of where we are with him really because I don't think last season you were noticing any mistakes he's made any really at least not until the end of the season and that is a concern and you know Colin Dodds is decent back up there is an argument I don't think there's an argument at this moment in time to say you're, you're taking Lewis out and putting Doyle in there but I think you are and in a similar way to Cook you are kind of resting Lewis as and when you can really because you just he just needs to kind of get that 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 going again really and I think playing week in week out has kind of caught up him a little bit having been a player who up until signing for the club in in 2022 had barely hadn't played a game for four years, had he really, and barely played any football before that. So it's probably gonna he's gonna the dip was always coming, and we've got to get him through that. But we've got to manage it really, really well, I think. And again, this is my management, Ryan. It depends on the personality, it depends on whatever. But you know, there's certainly a case for you know we've seen it lots of times with keepers. You, you take out the fire line for a bit, they come back better than when they left. You know, and Aaron Ramsdale's currently in that position. I'm sure he'll come back and and be better. There are players who just take them out the firing line for a bit and they'll come back and be stronger. We're not really in a position to do that, or the managers that we've had haven't felt we're in a position to do that. And I think from what uh, when McDonald was talking in the press about Lewis, he sort of went the opposite way, right? So well, Harris is always going to play because Harry's like a really good keeper, and he was trying to big up his confidence that way. Given evidence of Saturday, he's still, there's still a bit of issues there. But again, how I don't know how Alexander manages that. That's sort of what, he's, what, what, what the money's for, right? That's, what, that's why they brought him in thinking about how can I just get him feeling like he felt last year whatever that is whether that's time just go on holiday for a month and come back or whether that's you know play through it and come out the other side I, I mean they'll know far, far, far more about how to do it but that is job one whatever the strategy is they need to do that quickly because with a question mark at keeper when he's one of your best players one of your best young players one of your best assets as a club that spreads around the defence you know the defence looks nothing like the same Sam Stubbs doesn't look like anything like he was last season, and you know if you if you don't have confidence in your goalkeeper and you don't have confidence in your talisman striker to score goals, you can see how the rest of the squad their confidence slides too. And if they can get those two firing, I think a lot of their other problems go away. Yeah, um, and in terms of defence, it feels like there's nowhere that's kind of more explicit showing the problems that we had in the summer and the, and the poor recruitment really than looking at the players we brought in and the fact we have so many defenders, and yet we are not very good at defending and you look at it in terms of obviously we went so all in on this 3-5-2 approach sign wing backs sign more centre backs etc etc that we're now in a position where we have a ridiculous abundance of centre backs and we don't have any left backs apart from Liam Rydell who's the only pure left back really there because Lewis Richards is more of a wing back as well um it's a real problem is it because if you're Alexander and you've already got Timmy Odessino out on loan as well you've got Luke Hendry out on loan but you've still got loads of defenders in the building and you probably haven't got the quality there where, now where do you even begin with that I mean <laughs> get fewer of them uh, so sort of job one is that they need to they need to sort of I mean they've got John, poor Jonathan Tomlinson who's coming here to play you know from Norwich he's had one league sub appearance 
Kieran Ash Taylor's played a few times. Kieran Kelly started has gone missing since then because he's obviously the. I think he's more comfortable in a three it seems, or is at least deemed to be. Um, you've still got Stubbs, and the, ironically, Stubbs and Platt are sort of fine. Like, there's no real issue with Stubbs and Platt, you know, when they play. You know, and yep. ta- Taylor, I think, has got his, you know, has got got his detractors, but he is, you know, fine at this level. Is it for your third centre half? You don't really need many more than that. We've got loads. <laughs> Timmy Odessina is still like barely played for us. Only I think he's on loan in the conference now. But you've got to just find a way to rebalance your squad that we've got all these people at the back Jonathan Tomlinson who's our fifth choice he's like a really highly rated US Youth International centre half from Norwich and we've got no one who's backing up Andy Cook and we've got no real no real depth in midfield <laughs> and you know it's just a and as you say no actual left back cover for Liam Radels you know might might be out of Saturday and there's a that as I say it feels like a bit of a jigsaw jigsaw puzzle he's come into a, a, he's inherited and you know, getting rid of players is hard. You know, <laughs> there's the people. There's a reason that you know people aren't going to want them if you if you haven't developed the asset. People aren't going to want them. You know, so they're. I don't know how they do that, but as he said, I think before they even think about what type of things do I need, it's how can I create space for that. Um, and it, we do go in a bit of a pendulum because I do remember very vividly Mark Hughes when he arrived saying, "I want a, you know, I want a small squad. Always really competitive." And then you know, this some other talking, "Oh, we need more cover and flexibility and people who can do lots more things." And we sort of pivot out to a much larger squad. And now we're pivot. It's always a bit of a pendulum that you always want the opposite of the thing that you've got. Yeah. Um But this is definitely the ba- It's less the person, the numbers. It's the balance that seems to be the problem. Yeah, it's it is as you say a pendulum, and you're probably looking at Derek Adams where he had quite a small squad. It felt like, if I remember serves me correct. But then as soon as you had injuries to Liangle. It was like we were stuck, and yeah. that was all that, that's all Adam said for weeks and weeks. Well, we've we missed Liangle, so we're we're struggling. He brought in uh, Theo Robinson, didn't he, and said he's he's no Liangle straight away. <laughs> it was just you know that, but now we're at the position now where we have so many players, and and it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's is there's, there's a dual problem of you need to obviously trim how many players you've got there, but you also need to bring in better quality in certain areas because it's lacking so much. And I feel probably why players, and certainly I know a, yeah. a call is close to your heart. In terms of the, the wingers, I mean, it's probably in a way the easiest area to cull because you've got uh, Raymond, yeah. Raymond Tullock, you've got Chosen Afoka um, on loan there, who you know you can send back to their clubs who don't necessarily. I mean, Tullock's shown some promise and probably been a bit unlucky not to feature a little bit more, really. Um, Afoka has not looked great so far. And and I think I was making the point in the match report, neither of those players, for example, are up there with a the Scott Banks or Tyreek Wright level, um, which is obviously a big miss for City this season. But that's probably there as well, where you kind of, you've got plenty of options in a way, because you've also got, um, you've got other players like Ayoka who can sort of play out wide there as well. And you've got them. Um, Odwa. Odwa, yep, yeah. sorry, Will, name's Will, getting... Odwa, Wilson, yeah, <laughs> Odisebe, Odisebe. Yeah, You've got a lot of players there, but yeah. you're not looking at going, well, I mean, uh, Wilson's got potential, but other than that, you're not seeing them as, as kind of first-team starters there as players who can who can make a real difference. And if you want to go back to four four two as where he wants to play, that's the real problem, isn't it? It is. I mean, I'm not... I, I All of these players, the wide men that we've signed have been side for sort of like sides of a trident in a forward three right they're, they're all in a four two three one are you really going to be interesting to look on left wing with no defensive cover other than wide else behind him you know it's a big big risk for someone who's really like a forward who plays out wide rather than like a left midfielder i think there's a nuance between those two positions that we don't really have much in the form of that either so it's a uh, it 
I wonder how long he'll persist with the two up front until January, um, because I know he says that it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see if he persists with it, because I just think you should look at the squad. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. The squad, the squad's not set up for that. As you say, it feels like that's the easiest lever to pull in January. They're going to be looking at what levers can we pull to get the wage bill down and get people out of, out of the way. Um, and you know, they did loan easily, obviously. This way, starting it, and you know, you, you sort of solve a bit of your centre half issue there, not all of it, but some of it. You sort of can solve your wide, the backlog out wide there as well. Um, but, you know, they signed what Wilson was right towards the end of the window, I think. Yeah. And Tulloch and Afoka were all like on deadline day. That's like you added three people in very similar positions to do very similar things right at the end. Um, and it looks like they don't, they never really had a plan for them. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. never going to play, you know, he's, he's like fifth in line in his position. It felt like a lot of punts, didn't it? Like, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll sign these three players and hopefully one of them will be really good. And if that's the case, then it's fine. But when it's it's a difficult strategy, that isn't it? And that's why you end up with too many players in the building because if you're just signing quantity over quality and chucking a few things at a dartboard and hoping something sticks, it's it's not great. Um, and the human cost as well. Like, what they must yeah. think. Like, what, yeah. what Ryan Tullock has been here, he's like barely played in a focus as well. You're just like, why have I even bothered? Why, why, why am I doing it, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it does obviously beg the question and, and uh, you know, Stephen Gent and the recruitment approach that we've taken, mm. you know, since he came in, in 2022. And, you know, I think the window, la- la- the summer before last was really good, but this summer just hasn't been great at all, isn't it? And we talked about in previous podcasts in terms of who's calling the shots here. Was it Hughes making the signings? Was it was it Gent making the signings? And as you kind of said at the time, it's like there were two different strategies going on yeah. without talking to the other. And, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? And we touched on it a little bit, but you know, in January window, Alexander is he going to be working close with Steve Gent? How's that going to work? It'd be interesting to see how it goes because I remember one of the positive things that they uh, that the appointment of Alexander is they sort of kept Gent. I think they haven't announced that they're not doing this. I assume he's going to stay, which is positive, you know, because this is something that they did previously. So they had Turnbull, I want to say, off the top of my head. Um, yeah. It was the previous head of recruitment working with. Uh, I think I guess when we got. Uh, it was Truman and Sellers, wasn't it? So that's, at first, that, yeah. that, that sort of yeah. January window when I think we got Vernon, I want to say, top of my the yep. Ollie, Ollie Crankshaw, Vernon window, that window. Yep. Um, and then Adams came in in the summer and he disappeared because Adams wanted to, to be in charge. Uh, and then that didn't work. And then Hughes came in and then they brought in a different guy to be the head of a They've kept him this now. At least there's some sort of consistency in, in structure, which is positive. Uh, but as you say, the sort of track record of what they've done over the last year is didn't, really fill you with loads of confidence so <laughs> it is a it'd be interesting to see whether they a stick with the position and then if they stick with the position whether they stick with the people involved um but they'll definitely have to be a focus on for adam for alexander sorry if what does he actually want to play and what is his vision for the team and how can you help fill that i mean helpfully if he wants to play two up front I can bring Jake Young back that solves one problem <laughs> you think he's yes. de- that's definitely going to be job like one in the window if you can recall him I mean, you can either sell him and make a profit, but to be honest, if you want to play two up front, you just bloody play him, I think. You know, yeah. You've got a new manager, you can, you, you can sort of start afresh. Um, and that solves one of your issues. But then it's the... If you actually want to play four four two, you need players who can do it. You know, you need players who can... You need central midfielders who can play that. You need sort of wide players who can actually fit that thing and actually the the turnover that you'll need in the squad because this squad is built for two formations. Neither of one are the one that he actually wants to play. Um, so it needs a huge amount of surgery, which may, again sort of strengthens my feeling that actually work out who can hang around this year, and you just start next summer. I think. Yeah, um, 
going back to some of the the comments that Ryan Sparks made at the press conference, he talked about how he'd consulted people and and they'd helped him to to get the next Bradford City manager, and obviously which is Alexander. And I kind of hope that obviously he's not revealed who those people are, but I'd like you'd like to think that Stephen Gent is one of those people and that he's been really involved with that recruitment process and sitting on the interviews because if you believe in Stephen Gent to be the right person, and despite some questionable de- transfers recently, I think that's still fair to say you. Know that he hopefully is the right person there to to take the club on. There, he want the he want Alexander to come in or the manager who's going to come in to work really closely with Stephen Gent and to be on that same page because it didn't seem like that was quite the case with Hughes. So hopefully it's not a matter of you know they've gone and appointed Graham Alexander and on day two, hey Graham, meet Stephen Gent. Yeah. Um, he he might help you there. You hope there is some strategy where it's joined up together and that they very much see themselves working working together as a pair. You'd really you'd really hope so. And there's an interview with Gent that he did in the TNA, I guess, sort of last this time last year, maybe a bit earlier this time last year. But he was talking about, you know, young and Odessina and how like, actually you know, investing in younger players build them up as assets you know you can get good stuff out of them but also you can like he had there was clearly a strategy with both of them that they were young players they wanted to invest in and the manager never played them both and they're now out on loan <laughs> to other clubs because the manager never played them uh, and if you never play them you're not going to develop the assets so though clearly there is a dissonance there um between Hughes and Jen, let alone everything else um so yeah I, I that would certainly be encouraging to hear um if it if you know if they over the next six months move away from that model that'll obviously be just a bit disappointing because that's another pivot. So if you've got if you've got if you've got if you've got the people there, if you've got the structure. If you believe in the structure, go with it, as you say. And 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 that that feels like you'd certainly you'd want him to have been involved, given he's the one who's signing all the players. Yeah, um, we shall see um, what happens in the window, but it's certainly going to be interesting. Few few months, I think, really, uh, or a few weeks, really, seeing what Alexander does if he gives everyone an opportunity and kind of where he ultimately ends up with um, when he gets the opportunity to start really shaping the squad. Uh, we asked a question on Twitter in terms of which players um, people think are going to do well or lose out probably from Alexander coming in. Ian Hemming says the whole squad seems very unbalanced in my opinion. Overload in centre defence, woefully short in attack, a definite lack of variety in midfield. In hindsight, some bizarre recruitment. Rob Hunt says we need goals. We've been saying it for years and years. There's not enough goals in the squad and no actual plan about how we are going to score them. Get a strategy and recruit to it, please. Um, Matt Brooks says quantity over quality is our issue. Too many players brought in that aren't the required standard. Spent good money on not so good. Um, we've We've had it for ages. It's a challenge to get a club for the ones that we don't want to keep. Can see a few who are out on contract in the summer getting paid up to go in January. Uh, Mark Vasey says, of all loanies, I expect I expect them all to return to their parent clubs with the possible exception of Oyegoke to provide cover at fullback. Though I'd like to see Tomkinson given a chance, would expect Young and possibly East to return. Lancaster Bantam says, no idea how we ended up with as many players as we have. Close to 40 if you count the players already loaned out to the likes with, in, and the likes of Hendry and, and Finn Cousin Dawson. Loan players that genuinely don't, we don't, genuinely don't need. January can't see many incomings at all. Recalls on Young and East probably as good as it gets. Um, Silver says I think we need to get rid of Taylor Odessina Odwa Derbyshire Hendry and send all the loans back get Easton Young back I think Smith will will do well Walker will lose out in my opinion no room for a 10 in a 4-4-2 doesn't produce enough a Billy Clark luxury and Mike Bradley says we're lacking specialist wide areas defence and forwards maybe Richards will step in a left back will, will be okay forwards wise but we lack options centre midfield is also weak but maybe Walker's second half cameo showed he could do well in there 
Okay, um, I'm conscious that we'll talk a bit about Tim now again, and I'm conscious that we've got through all this podcast and haven't mentioned Bobby Poynton's name once, which feels like <laughs> a, a real like injustice. He's, he's going to be so mad. He's going to be. He so will be. Sick. You can picture him now when you know, he's dealing with them sleepless <laughs> nights, the, the trauma of what he's about to experience, and the first and foremost on his on the, in his mind will be where is where is the where Bobby is Bobby Poynton? Yeah. yeah. So apologies <laughs> for that, but you know he's doing well and 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 continues to do well. And we did talk about his contract at least. Yeah, so, we did. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that brings us on to talk about um, Tim slightly. And you know, obviously, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, that he's um, baby Penfold is due any moment now, uh, and that leads on to conversations about taking taking kids to watch football, which is something we spoke about quite a bit in our Widford Post group chat over the weekend. Um, Katie White was mentioning that she was. Sat with sat near quite a lot of bored kids on Saturday. Probably a lot of bored adults, to be fair <laughs> as well. Um, but also, as well, if you know, not everyone obviously has kids, um, but equally a lot of people have experience of going to watch football with their parents, and that's how they're introduced into watching Bradford City. So we thought we'd put the question out there on Twitter in terms of people's best memories, either of going to football with their parents or taking their kids to Valley Parade to watch um, Bradford City. Um, and I'll start with you, Alex, because um, obviously you're young and um, probably hasn't been to Valley Parade yet, I would imagine. But you've certainly been, you know, keeping it in the family, all, you know, all your life, really, in terms of going with your parents. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So Nell is, is like three, so she's probably too little. There is a dad at nursery who's taking her his daughter to go watch Norwich City women at the wow. sort of Canaries Nest, which is it's not it's not it's kind of just a field where, where where they play, which seems like more tolerable. I'm sort of umming and ahhing about that. Though as the weather gets colder, that feels just less and less plausible. I mean, she's got, she's she's got an attention span, but she's definitely not got a 90-minute attention span. So uh, it's probably <laughs> a little while away for me. But as you say, sort of my entire life has been going to watch City with my dad. You know, I had a, had a season ticket from when I was like six. I don't really remember not going. If you know what I mean, I don't really re- the the point at which I wasn't going all the time. I don't recall. I, t- I was too little to remember it. So it's sort of been my entire life has been going with my dad and my uncles and cousins and you know we've sort of been been going forever and that sort of is a sort of like extension of my family it's where I see my uncles you know whenever I come up we go for a pint beforehand just chat about what's going on see the game complain about useless wingers have another pint <laughs> go home you know that's sort of the a lot of my family bonding on that side of my family is is, is going to city you know and that's sort of one of the things that why it's so important is why I sort of <laughs> care about it so much and why I've wasted spent so much <laughs> of my life uh stuck down there but i've been a, kate was talking about these bored children that was definitely me when i was like five or six i remember <laughs> getting shouted at for kicking a chair in front and i used to know <laughs> like the vividly know all of the sponsors on the i used to read the program just reading it while the game just like, couldn't pay attention to like early <laughs> 90s city is like not really something that i could really entertain myself as like a six-year-old so Spending a lot of time. I remember going down to uh, the Notts County Wembley final, whatever, yeah. like the Mark Stallard one with my little sister. So I, I could only have been seven, so my sister must have been four or five, and she was just sat there doodling, and I ended up like doodling. <laughs> so we were winning at Wembley. It's like my dad's best ever game, and I'm like sitting there just drawing, being like, yeah, still don't really get where this is. I've definitely been that bored kid, but you know, it's a. Uh, it was a an impending life sentence that got put onto me, and uh, yeah, I'm still here. So even if they're a bored kid, doesn't mean they're not going to be sat in 30 years talking about it on, a, on the internet. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> still, still hope for them yet. I mean, you 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 must be bringing your. Are we you you have brought your girls before. I'm not sure you're doing it at the minute. Is that right, Jay? Yeah, um, I've, my oldest the first took her in the 2016-17 season, which was when Bradford City were really good, and it was really exciting, and she absolutely loved it. Um, How old she, was she? She was she was three, I think, at the time, Ooh. so it was quite right, young. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But it just felt ready. She started to go football training on a Saturday, and she'd enjoyed that. So it just felt like, you know what, we'll risk it, and she she really enjoyed it. And I think, 
you know, Matt Marshall was a hero then. She absolutely adored Matt Marshall and always wanted to play football and pretend to be that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, she had red number seven shirt for Matt Marshall and she loved it. And then she got we got a season ticket and for a few years she enjoyed coming to the games with me, me and her, and it was it was fantastic. Um but the football wasn't great and gradually we're getting worse and worse and it was less enjoyable. And as she's got a bit older and the youngest one started to come a little bit as well, um, the Derek Adams era, they eventually just got fed up of, of coming and, and just didn't enjoy that experience and didn't want to come along to it. Um, I still kept them with season tickets for the moment and they went. They came to the Wrexham game and they enjoyed bits of it. Um, but it's still, like like what you're saying there really, I kind of, you know, I think you can't, you can't put too much pressure on it, can you? You've just kind of got to yeah. hope it works out and I hope they enjoy the experience there and want to come again and when they're a bit older they might feel differently than they, they potentially do right now and hopefully City are good in the future where it's actually enjoyable to come. But I think one of the interesting things when we when they did go after the go to Wrexham game because you know they saw things like the the mini car that came on the pitch they absolutely loved that they thought that was absolutely amazing um, and then a few days you know they, they really like playing football at this moment in time so we play a lot of football in the garden and um, straight away after that um, we're, we're having little football matches in the garden and they, they wanted to do the kind of like the entrance to Valley Parade on our garden so we had take me home middle and road playing on my phone to, to come out with it and they got the little scooter and put the football on the scooter <laughs> and, and brought that to the centre of the garden to, you know, to replicate that and play those things so some of the bits of it they absolutely love and think is amazing um, so there's hope there isn't there but it's it's weird what, what kids like and stuff like that really so that was really cute And we uh, need either more cars or more of the car I think we were positing <laughs> that a good way to do it if you park the car in the by the one of the nets the goalie can put the car and he could drive it back to the centre circle after a goal. Like, <laughs> they try and find different uses for the car. Yes. It feels like they're not making the most out of it. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's just a toe in the water. They've got to do so much more. And if they do, <laughs> the kids will come en masse. That's what you've got to do yeah. the next generation of Bantams if that's how we attract them. Um, as I say, we put the question out there on Twitter um, and Anne Bell got in touch to say, um, I took um, my two kids to see us play Manchester City in 1997. It was before we had season tickets and we could only get tickets in Block B of the main stand. There was a lot of Man City fans in the Brav City end that day, including some very vocal and large blokes in front of us. There was a minor skirmish at the end of our row, so I was getting a bit anxious. And there was a large fat chap in front of us who was mouthing off Andy Kawamia. When about five rows behind, someone yelled, Oh, you, fatso, don't be abusing our Andy. That's my job. (laughs) <laughs> which which absolutely sums up doesn't it that kind of humour at Bradford City <laughs> that is always there so that's a great story from Anne uh, thank you for that uh, Rob Hunt says um, make sure the first game you take them to is terrible my poor sister's game was a 5-4 win and she was hooked for life if only we'd lost 2-0 we might, uh, um, might have had 30 years of Saturdays back um, I'm wonderful <laughs> Rob's there's talking about the Tramway game I can only think there uh, Ollie says we had season t- we had tickets for the first game of 2014 season against Coventry but couldn't go. Wouldn't have my- would have been my eldest first game, 91st minute winner, 3-2 would have been a fantastic game for him to him to have gone to. Sadly, instead, his actual first game was a 1-0 home defeat to Peterborough, and he took eight games till he saw us score a goal at Valley Parade. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. Um, Kate says my dad is a West Ham fan, so when we played them in 2000. He went in the away end and he left me and my brother with my granddad in the home end, who was I mean, granddad is also West Ham fan. We equalised and he was devastated, much to the confusion of everyone around us. And then he got up and cheered when West Ham got the winner. So I bet that didn't go down too well inside the ground. And Matthew Wilkerson never went with my parents. Dad supported Leeds, so wouldn't take me. My first game was when I started work and was invited to go with some friends. Was not County in the J- in the JPT 2009 Senor and Oaks and Casper Schmeichel in goal, which was a very memorable first game. Uh, and BWS says, my first game was Stoke in 2004. Our last game in the second tier 
We got in a minute late, and before I'd even sat down, Stoke had scored through Gifter Noel Williams. Welcome to Bradford City. That's a good one, that one as well. Quite similar to Graham Alexander, really, how it began for him, really. Um, Leon says, got to be Middlesbrough away in the playoffs second leg with my mum and dad. The first and only time I've been to a match with them. We lost, but it's a match I'll always remember. Uh, Lancaster Man says, best moments for me, going with my dad to, to Burnley. Um, young teens, unfortunately, in the end, as in the Burnley game, a two-all draw, last minute Andy Cuomo scoring. A look from my dad and there were, uh, there were limbs celebrating. Left there, the biggest grin on my face, know what, um, know what happened that season. Uh, Silver said, I started going with my dad and granddad. Favourite memory of walking out the old cop. Granddad says, hands on pockets, lads. We'll, we'll keep your hands on your pockets because lads around here will pick your pockets. We get back to the car and his wallet has gone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a good start there. Uh, Chris says, my family were pretty poor when I was a kid, but my dad found money to buy me a ticket to the Arsenal game and the League Cup final beforehand. I had been to the odd game, but those two and my dad is what made me love going to football. Fantastic story there. Uh, and Banter says, as a dad, best memories are always the away days. Win, lose or draw, every trip is different. I'm a memory that will live for both your dad and your son and daughter. I'd recommend away trips with the kids. So there's some good advice there for uh, for Tim when it comes to taking his young one to Bradford City in a few years' time. Um brilliant i think that's all we have time for um thank you so much alex um for your your contributions as ever and also for editing this so if you do if you do ever hear this then obviously the editing is good. <laughs> so, so that's always a big if point. anyone has any complaints about the editing send it to tim.penfold uh, with the post.com <laughs> yeah that does remind me actually we had a complaint someone complained to uh, on twitter about which post about you alex for poor ratings on football manager which is tim's fault so you were getting the blame for the fact that Bradford city on the new fm game I've got really bad ratings. I can only imagine everyone's got poor ratings apart from Bobby Poynton, who's probably got 20. I was going to say, he's, he's got to be amazing <laughs> for everything. And, and, and in Tim's defence, saying he's not here, we're currently 18th. So there's, the reason that the players aren't rated that highly might not be Tim's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But anyway, we will be back with a podcast uh, very soon, um, hopefully um, in early part of December. And we'll see, hopefully, if Tim it wants to escape from the, from the sleepless nights and the nappy changes and, and come back onto that one. But thank you as ever for listening, and we will see you soon. <laughs>